among us And I hope they hear our call Maybe it's a woman Or a black man after all Looking for a leader To bring our country home Reunite the red, white and blue Before it turns to stone Hello and welcome to another episode of ERG Power Talk. I'm your host, Joe Santana. That song that you just heard is Looking for a Leader by Neil Young. And just like countries, organizations are always in search of the next leaders. In fact, the need for leaders at all levels of organizations continues to grow, especially as businesses become more complex, as they become more competitive, as the world becomes somewhat more disruptive due to things like globalization, emerging technologies, and the acceleration and speed of just general disruption. So it's not surprising that a Deloitte University press survey of global organizations tells us that 86% of the people who participated in that survey said that having more effective leaders at all levels was their number one business issue. So when these companies are looking for leaders, what exactly are they looking for? It turns out that what they're looking for is this thing called executive presence. And what exactly is that executive presence that they're looking for in future leaders? How can you acquire it, especially if you don't look like what people think a leader should look like? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And so to help us answer these questions, we have a special guest. But before we bring in our guests, let's take a moment to revisit our mission and acknowledge our sponsors. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others who are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Behringer Ingelheim, CVS Health, Dollar General, Freighter Health and Wisconsin Medical College, Mass Mutual, McCormick, Johnson Controls, Pitney Bowes, Daimler Trucks North America, and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Now, let's go straight to the program. He's an attorney by education who is an associate director of global privacy at the information management office for KPMG, VP of board development for Alpha, an author and a speaker. And he has a popular Udemy course that I recommend. I just took it this weekend on the topic of executive presence. My name is Joe Kwan. I go by the connection counselor in terms of the coaching and advising that I do. Joe, my first question for you is, what is this thing called executive presence? It sounds very mysterious. And why did you become interested in that specific topic? So I'll take the second part of your question first. How did I become interested uh, in the topic? Long story short, just in my own career and just seeing people, sometimes there's almost like a, you can't make sense of certain things, right? So you could have several people in an organization and one guy or gal comes in and they're like a rocket ship. They're just dining with the CEO. They're being invited to all the meetings. And then there's some poor other guy or gal who's been a, a team player, loyal, sacrificer for 
20 years and they don't even know that this person exists. They're put in the corner. And I start to wonder, why is that? There has to be something going on beyond just, I don't like you. Because to a certain extent, we're businesses and we want to perform well so we can keep the business going and earn our bonuses or salaries or however that works for the people out there. And then so what I started to understand a little bit more is organizations, as you put in the beginning of your intro, they need people to lead, right? They need people at all levels. So the way I define executive presence, it's simple to define, it's difficult to execute, right? Just like (laughs) a, a lot of things in life. So all executive presence is, and we can dive into some layers later, it's the ability to inspire confidence that you can lead well in a given situation. That's all that is. If someone feels that about you, doesn't matter what's on your resume, doesn't matter what your title is. If they're in a room with you and they feel that's what I call having executive presence. Got it. We're going to dig into that a little more later on, but let me ask you this then. At this point, some people that are listening to this are probably saying to themselves, huh, So it's something that people look for in me to have the confidence that I can lead. What are some of the signs that maybe you don't have that, or maybe you lack that executive presence? I love that question. And it's the right question to ask, right? To to calibrate, like, where are you on the executive presence scale? Because that's going to affect the opportunities uh, that, that are, you know, given to you. And quite simply, it's the way people respond to you. And by respond to you, I want to be nuanced in this. It's not so much how they respond to what you say or what you do. If you take a look at the term executive presence, it's not executive doing. It's executive presence. When you are there, obviously you're doing stuff. You're moving around, you're turning your head, you're saying things, right? That's important. But it's really, what is that feeling that your whole package has to the other person or people in the room, is it, wow, this person is really helping to lead this. And because they're here, we're better off. Or is it, why are they even here? Right? Or they're actually hindering the progress of what's going on. And it's not always what you say. It could just be your attitude. It could be your energy. It's your overall presence and how it affects the room. They always talk about reading the room, commanding the room. That's your presence that does it fundamentally. Okay. So if you're someone whose experience is that people aren't really listening to you or really interested in what you're saying or that they have you in the meeting as an afterthought, then perhaps that's evidence that you don't have that magical executive presence. One of the things that you and I talked about when we talked about executive presence was the special challenge that people have who are not white males. You mentioned to me about how people have this image of what they think executive presence is, and it's really intertwined a lot with white males because of history. So tell us a little bit about that. How does that special challenge present itself for women and people of color who don't fit that image? It's a great question. And the way I like to talk about this to really drive the point home is people who are listening to this, if you want, close your eyes, you can keep them open if you'd rather. And think about in your mind, the prototypical image of a Fortune 500 CEO. Just picture them. What do they look like? What are they wearing? What's their approximate age? 
What's their gender, right? What is the what is their jawline look like? Their hair, accessories. Picture that. I guarantee most of the people in the audience, including you and me, are picturing a white male, right? If we're honest and we talk about the prototypical, right? Like not the one that you know necessarily, but the template for it. It's a white male. Now, why is that important? It's important because if you walk into a room and you are being considered for leadership positions and you look like how everyone imagines the CEO or other leaders to look, you're good. All the other stuff, so you still got to do all the other stuff, but like you're good in that department, what I call the power of you know expectation, or they also call it implicit leadership theory, like what leaders should look and act like. Let's say you come in and you come in in a wheelchair or you're an amputee, or you're of Asian or African-American descent or Hispanic, right? Now people are like, are you here to deliver the food or are you cleaning or whatever? Like the expectation is not, oh yeah, of course, they're here to interview for the CEO position. So that is a challenge that not to say it's right or wrong, or that's a challenge that you don't have as a white male because the existing expectation is the CEO is going to be a white male. So in the work that I do in executive presence, we have to acknowledge that exists. Because if you don't acknowledge it exists, you can be doing all these other things and you're missing out on a sort of a fundamental aspect of, of reality and, and what's in other people's minds. So what are some tips for someone who's not part of that overrepresented group in power who wants to display executive presence more effectively? What I love about that question, Joe, is Executive presence is not something that you have inside and other people either choose to recognize or not. It's, it's not like I have this, but because you are looking at me differently, like you don't see what I already have. Executive presence is dynamic, right? If you and I are in a room talking, I have executive presence with you. It's in between us. And if we're in a room with a bunch of people, it's, it's in between me and everyone else in the room. So it's generated specifically between people. So that's where I approach the challenge from. How do you generate it, right? When the expectation is not there, how do you generate it? There's some things you can do. One thing that I always advise people to do is leverage allies, right? Let's say you go into a room and... There's four partners, and one of the partner before, Joe, you start presenting, say, this is my good friend, Joe Santana. He's got this great experience at, at Siemens and is doing all this great stuff. His work is top-notch. I think everyone should really listen to him. That is very powerful, right? To have that one out of four people be your ally and present to you is extremely powerful. Now, I always say, are you going to walk into a room and you don't know who's going to be there? You don't know if it's a friendly crowd or a not friendly crowd? I don't think so. The best thing to do is to understand that. And they actually did a study where they showed that when you have a minority position and a majority position, right? When you get to this number of 25%, I use that number very specifically, something happens in the room where the minority view can flip to the majority view. Because once 25% of people are saying, yeah, this is cool, we like this, the other like 50 or so percent undecided are, hey, other people are saying that this is good too. And that it can actually flip things for you. So that's one thing that I always tell people, make allies and, and understand what's going on. And, and the, what I used to say, what I like to say is stack the deck, 
right? <laughs> You're not just going to go in there. You don't look like they expect you to look and you got to stack the deck a little bit. You got to do your homework. You got to be prepared. So that's one of a few different techniques that, that I coach folks to, to think about before they uh, head into the lion's den. Interesting. So you said four people, you got to have one. So I would imagine the multiples are, you got eight people, you should have two. If you have 12 people, you should have three and so forth. So that that, that makes sense. And we're going to delve a little more into some of that shortly. So my next question for you is, how can someone who's in a resource group community practice and display their executive presence? In your Udemy course, as I recall, you offered six areas of focus, six areas where you need to develop and display certain behaviors in order to be seen as a leader. So what I'd love for you to do, Joe, is walk us through one at a time, each of those areas. And then if you can, bridge to how somebody in an employee resource group can take the opportunity of their position as a leader of that group to display executive presence using one or more of these skills. Joe, you're really putting me to work. I love it. (laughs) So this is great. This is great. I love this. So the first thing we want to remember is it all hinges off the definition, right? Or, or the definition, not because it's a definition, because it's the underlying principle of how to generate it. And, and just to remind the listeners, it's your ability to inspire confidence that you can lead well in a given situation. All right. So now let's talk about six, I call them six degrees of executive presence. They're really states of being. So we'll start with one, which is proactive, right? These aren't special terms. Proactive means what it thinks you mean. You don't wait passively for things to happen, you take action. So let's say you're leading an ERG and there is a budgeting challenge, right? You got this great speaker, you've told leadership, they're coming, everyone's excited, the communications have gone out, something happens to the budget and the budget's gone. What do you do as as a leader with executive presence? Do you throw up your hands and say, oh, it's too bad, so sad, can't have this speaker anymore, apologies. Or do you turn over every stone, try to get personal conf- you know, contributions, start a Kickstarter? If you got some inheritance, maybe negotiate a deal where, okay, I'm going to front this, but I expect this money back from the organization when the budget is reinstated. Are you going to take action to make that thing happen, which everyone wants to happen? That's the goal of the ERG and the organization for this great speaker who, and, and to avoid embarrassment, right? Like you're going to tell the speaker, we can't pay you, sorry, after they've, you know, changed their plans and schedule. And so that's being proactive. Next is being resolute. Being resolute means you don't fold under unpopularity or political pressure. It doesn't mean you're stubborn. Now, if there's something that should be changed and you have a good reason to change it, you change it, but you don't want to turn left and then five seconds later, turn right, and then five seconds later, break, and then stop. I get motion sick, right, in these cars, and I don't like that. And I don't think people like that at work where you keep switching directions all the time. So if you're a leader of the ERG and you have a vision and and you share that with people, and then there's a ground swelling of people saying, no, no, we need to do this. Are you resolute? If what they're saying is, popular, but maybe not for what's required for the organization. If you are firm in your conviction that the original one that was set with everyone is right, then you need to be able to deal with that and say, okay, I understand. We're going to figure it out. But for now, this is what we're going to do. And it's not easy, right? Because 
we all want people to get along and feel like they can participate fully, but not at the expense of always changing every time someone raises an objection or has a different idea. So that's being resolute. The third is equanimity, which is just a fancy way of saying cool under fire, right? So if you're a leader of an ERG and let's say something's happening where a lot of your other co-leads or people who are supporting you, they got affected in a layoff or I don't know, something happened and then they left the company and now you're under-resourced. Do you freak out and say, oh my God, can't do this anymore. This, the sky is falling. This whole thing is no good anymore. Or do you say, you know what? I'm just one person. This is a problem. So I need to get help. And with that kind of measured sort of executive resolve, go to people and say, hey, what do you think we should do? What, what help could we get? Would you be willing to contribute? Or who do you think would be willing to help out? Because we lost some valuable staff or leadership on our team. So that's equanimity. Next is stillness. It's the, a bit of a counterpoint to being proactive. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. It means you act when the time is right. So everyone knows a person who does like a lot of busy work, like, like they're always doing stuff, but never going anywhere. It's just, so it's the same thing. Sometimes it's better to be still and to, and to listen and to hear what's going on from leadership or from your membership. And then when you understand this is the right time to launch that initiative or to propose something because the time is right. Now, if you keep on proposing it when the time is wrong, sometimes you can lose credibility because people are like, oh, I, I can't take another meeting with Joe. He keeps bothering me about this versus, you know what? I tried once. I can see this is not going to work right now. Shift to something else. And then when you see the opening, that's when you go in and, and, and you act. So there's a certain amount of wisdom that comes with this in terms of knowing when to be proactive, when to pull all the stops and try to drive something through versus when to display basically a steady hand at the wheel. Yeah, absolutely. And what I love about your insight there, Joe, is I always tell people it's not an algorithm, right? You don't take a dash of proactiveness, a dash of equanimity, a dash of, and then all of a sudden everyone's, oh my God, let's make Joe the CEO, right? It's, these are human beings. You have to sense what's necessary. These are organizations. You have to understand priorities and what's possible and apply the right state of being at that particular moment which is why like a lot of these listicles about how to be more confident or negotiate, like they drive me crazy because you can't just go in there with a list and say, oh, you said that I'm going to exercise some empathy. Here you go, Joe, here's a dose of empathy. Yeah. And now I'm going to ask you an open-ended question. Yes, that would just creep people out if you did that. Yeah, it's like a lot of things in life where there is a behavior that you have to learn and then there's an experience that you have to gain in terms of how to use those different behaviors and in what combination. And my advice to listeners as you continue going through this list is to take them as different behaviors or ingredients that they can use. And when they use them, they're going to make mistakes sometimes, especially if they're not accustomed to using them. That's why I think the ERG is such a good place for them to practice using them because it's a safe place, or generally ERGs tend to be a safe space. But you're going to make mistakes, 
You don't have to beat yourself up over it when you make a mistake. Just learn from that and say, okay, got it. So that time I acted a little more proactively. I should have been a little more calm at the steering wheel. And as I was explaining that, I was thinking it's like learning how to play an instrument, let's say a piano or some other instrument where you learn the value of each key that doesn't make you a expert playing the piano. But over time, you develop a timing and a feel for what key to touch at what moment and with what amount of pressure. And that's what creates a beautiful melody. So it's a matter of learning the different components and then putting them together and exercising them smoothly over time with some experience. Would you agree with that? Joe, what I love about your metaphor with, with the instrument is, and, and I, I use metaphors like driving or playing a sport. If you're thinking about it, you are not in a high performance mode. When you're ready to jam out on the guitar or play like Chopin or Mozart, you are just flowing into it. When you're skiing down the hill, you're not like, I'm going to hit that mogul now. And no, you are just responding based on the training and experience you have already. And that's the only way it works. Because when I'm in a room with you, again, I can't take out a calculator or an iPhone or a spreadsheet and say, Joe looks like he needs a little bit of equanimity here. So what are my five types of equanimity? Let me pick Joe, hold on a second. I got to figure this out. Yeah. Okay. I got something good for you, Joe. No, it has to happen real time. It has to happen live. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's pause here and reflect on what we got out of this first half of our discussion with Joe Kwan. One, regardless of how skilled you are at your job, leadership opportunities will elude you unless you learn to have and project executive presence, what some people refer to as the je ne sais quoi of leadership. Two, while it can be more challenging for someone who does not look or sound like the typical leader anyone can develop executive presence. Three, executive presence is ultimately about the confidence that you instill in others that you can lead in a particular situation. Four, there are six specific states of being accompanied by certain behaviors that together project your image of executive presence. In this first half of our discussion with Joe, we covered four of them, proactive, resolute, equanimity, and stillness. And five, in addition to developing the qualities that give you executive presence, you also need to build the sponsors that can advocate for you and help you land opportunities. And according to Joe, at least 25% of the people in a room making a decision about who is going to get promoted to a position of leadership have to be part of your club in order for you to get the job. In the next segment of our discussion with Joe, we will go over the last two states slash behaviors that will give you executive presence and discuss how you can secure sponsors you need to close the deal. This and more when we return, but first, this. Hi there, this is Joe Santana, creator and host of ERG Power Talk. Are you getting the most out of this podcast? Is it turning you into a better version of yourself? A version of you that is ready to take on more significant assignments and opportunities in your career? Well, if you think you're ready to take your ERG Power Talk experience to the next level, I invite you to join us for this summer's 2021 
ERG Power Talk Virtual Academy. Learn the secrets to getting promoted 500 to 600% more often than competitors, becoming a happier and more engaging leader, defrosting any middle managers that stand in your way and in fact getting them to open doors for you, mastering your emotions so that you can succeed in any situation and harnessing the persuasive powers of a Dr. Martin Luther King when you speak. If you are a member of one of the leading companies that I mentioned at the beginning of this program, then you're in luck. All you need to do is accept our calendar invite. Your company's sponsorship gets you a front row seat to the Academy with no extra charge to you personally. You also get access to a full video recording of the program. But if you're not fortunate enough to work for one of these leading companies that sponsor the show, never fear. You can still secure a seat. Just go to ergpowertalk.com forward slash 2021 forward slash 05 forward slash 10 forward slash virtual academy 2021 and register as an individual sponsor. Again, just go to ergpowertalk.com forward slash 2021 forward slash 05 forward slash 10 forward slash virtual academy 2021 ergpowertalk.com forward slash 2021 forward slash 05 forward slash 10 forward slash one word virtual academy with no spaces and with no spaces followed by the number 2021 i'll be there to greet you personally with each of our guest instructors sign up now for massive early bird discounts and we're back so far we've gone through four of the six states of being or behaviors so joe what are the other two that together form those six elements of executive presence the second to last one is engaged and engaged basically means you are connected with the people involved as well as the overall goal so everyone has had a leader who shows up says we're going to do all this and makes all these promises and then they leave. And then when you ask them to help out with something or you have a problem or an issue, they're like nowhere to be found. How does that make you feel as someone who's working for them? It's the same way with the ERG leadership or memberships, right? So the, the members are giving freely of their own time, just like you are. And this is always, almost always time on top of like your day job. Are you engaged? So when someone says, I have a problem or I have a concern, are you responding to them the way you would anyone else on your team or organization who cares or that you care about? If your child or your you know, partner or spouse said, hey, Joe, I got a problem. Do you say, you know what? schedule something three weeks out. We'll talk about it then. That is not engagement. It doesn't create that, okay, this person's going to lead because when, when I'm telling them there's a problem, they're going to get engaged. And what if that problem is exactly the solution that you need, right? Like what if there is a gem in what they're sharing with you, but you turn it away and now you're never going to hear from this person again? Why would they come to talk to you when you are totally disengaged from what they're trying to do. So that is caution for leaders. Everyone's busy and you have to prioritize. But if you don't engage with people, 
they're not going to continue. And especially when they, when you do engage with them and then you, it's like a bad engagement, right? It, it's like you show up, and you're not listening. Then they definitely don't want to do that anymore. And it's sad because it could be the thing that, that really helps you or the organization. The last example or the last of the six degrees of executive presence is the most obvious one starts with a C. What is it, Joe? Do you remember from the course? I think I do, Professor Kwan. It's confidence. Yes, you are an excellent (laughs) student and teacher, by the way. It is confidence. And it's the one that seems the most obvious, right? Even if you look at the definition, executive presence is the ability to inspire confidence that you can lead well in a given situation. How can you inspire confidence if you don't have confidence yourself? This whole fake it till you make it, I think is sometimes misunderstood. The way I understand it, it means sometimes you may need it as a bridge for you to take that first step for something that you truly can do, but you're maybe having a little bit of anxiety about. Me being confident about being a Navy SEAL is a death wish because I'm not prepared to be a Navy SEAL. But me being confident and faking going on a presentation to going on a stage to give a presentation to a large crowd, that may be good for me to fake my nervousness a little bit because I have given been giving presentations and I have been trained and I have been working hard and I know my content. So it's not about pretending to have something you don't. It's about bridging that anxiety to confidence. And and once you get going, then people are like, wow, Joe really knows what he's talking about. And then people can follow because you have confidence, which gives them confidence that what's going to happen is going to work. So those are six behaviors and all six of those behaviors clearly are things that you could do in any kind of group, whether it's a small team, an ERG group or a large group, they're the same behaviors and you can develop them over time through practice. So let's say, for example, someone develops these qualities, hones them a little bit through practice, and now they want to take it up a notch. They want to get access to potentially promotions within the organization, more recognition and so forth. Now, we talked earlier about that 25% of support that's important in order for you to be able to have the right level of sponsorship needed. So you need to build your club, and I'm using your language based on a discussion that we had earlier. How can an ERG leader do that? So it's, it's a great question. What I would say about that is the people who have the power to put others in positions, because there's always someone in a room or people in a room who are making this decision. It's not a robot. It's another human being. And they're looking at other human beings and saying, I got A here. I got B here. I got one spot. I got to make a choice. So in, in terms of that, people choose based on what they value. So I I think sometimes we misunderstand sort of the ratio between the work that we do and how that's valued and what people individually value, which is separate from you or anyone else, because that is also a huge part of decision-making. So if you don't understand what the people who are making those decisions value, and all you understand is you do good work, it's almost like you're only bringing like half of your potential package. Now, I'm not saying you change what you do or change who you are to bring that value. But if you understand what people value, then you can make sure that how you present what you already do 
hooks into and resonates with what's in their heart for this is what we need for the company or or this is what we need for me to to build my organization whatever that value is i'm not here to judge the value i'm just here to say that's the lever right if you understand what people value and and you can connect. and we had a great we had a great conversation joe about about the, the tires on the new car and and what you want and and what you need if you understand what, what do people really want right and can show how you are the one who can best deliver that and continue to deliver that then you put yourself in a much stronger position for advancement and you haven't changed a thing you do the same work you're just as smart just as good looking or whatever but you have made a fundamental sort of change in your odds of succeeding that makes sense as i was listening to you i'm thinking that it brings back to mind an old quote from Dale Carnegie, who is this legendary guy that wrote these books on speaking and influencing people. And one of the things that he advised was speak in terms of the other person's interest. And I think that sums up what you just said now, which is you're doing the same thing, but the value that you highlight that comes out of it needs to be expressed differently depending on who you're talking to. So if you're talking to one group who's going to get a certain value out of this, it's going to meet one of their particular wants or needs, you highlight that. You could be talking about the same exact thing to somebody else or another group who has a totally different interest. So you talk about the same thing, but you highlight the value that's most germane to them. What about if you happen to be a bit of an introvert. So you got this mm -hmm. ERG chair position, but you're not really a showboat. You're not that person who likes to be up there and the center of attention. You're more mm -hmm. the person who would rather work tirelessly in the corner to mm -hmm. get things done. So mm -hmm. is that a challenge to how you can leverage your resources and your group to build your executive presence? Excellent question. And, and I write about this a little bit. I wrote an article, I think it was in Medium recently, and I also address it in my online course, is that let's start with the baseline, all right? Let's start with the truth. The truth is you're better off if you're an extrovert in organizations. Organizations recognize the positive aspects of being extrovert over the positive aspects of being an introvert. That's just the way, just like how you get more credit in some organizations for being an early riser versus staying up late, even though you're working the same amount of hours delivering the same. For some reason, the early risers are perceived better. It's a similar kind of thing where extroversion is just valued more. So there's that's one. The second thing I would say is that doesn't have to be a death sentence for your executive presence. And the reason why is if you think about the definition of executive presence, it's all about your ability to inspire confidence in, in how you can lead. It doesn't say your ability to talk well or entertain people or be the center of attention. So what does that mean for an introvert? And I love Susan Cain's work on introversion. And one thing that she brought out to more commonly to, to the business world is that introversion doesn't mean you're shy. It just means the way you recharge your energy and, and, and how being around other people versus being alone affects your, your levels of stimulation and, and processing. So what I always say to people who are introverts, and, and, and I'm an introvert as well, is to have executive presence, you have to show people that you can lead. Now, if you're not going to lead by shouting and saying, hey, guys, we're going over here, 
right? How are you going to lead? And the way introverts can lead is by listening. And someone says, hey, Joe, I think we should go over here. And I say, hey, everybody has a great idea. We're going to go over here. And then the extroverted person who says, go over here, says, let's go over here. You're still leading. Or if a bunch of people are not participating, extroversion is actually worse. By you talking more, right? How much air does that give for other people to talk? An introverted leader can say, hey, Ben, you had some great ideas the other day. Why don't you share them with the group? And then Ben talks, and then Amy talks, and then Jim talks. And then all of a sudden, you have all these great ideas coming. Who generated that? Who created that? You, the introvert, created that. So as long as you are helping accomplish the objective of what needs to get done, and people can see that happening, even if it's not as rah-rah, like explicit, then people will be like, wow, I don't know how he does it or she does it, but they have a lot of executive presence. Like when they are around, things get done. Great point. So I'm going to throw another curveball at you. What about things like what we're doing right now? We're talking on a technology platform. A lot of people today, when they're having their meetings, they're either on Teams or Zoom they are missing a high percentage of their communication tools. Mm -hmm. Physically, you can't see all the gestures. Sometimes if there are a lot of people there, there are a bunch of little tiles. There are a lot of little micro expressions that we all use to express different things and to emphasize different things, the way we move our eyes or just different things that we do to communicate that enhance our communication. Most of those are eliminated. Plus, you're not even in the same room so that you're experiencing different background environments. What are some of the things that you can do if you're an ERG leader, BRG leader, and you want to be able to project those qualities that we talked about before, but you're doing it through the aperture of a camera and a microphone? What are some of your suggestions there? No easy questions from you today, Joe. So love that question. So what I would say there is you can read a lot. You can just Google it on and they'll give you all this advice about where to put the level of the camera, make sure you dress up, your lighting, whatever. And I'm not here to knock any of those things because those certainly have an effect and can make you seem more polished and, and professional. But when I know, if you put like a mannequin or a dummy with like really great lighting and dress them up, it's not going to generate much. So there's something as a human being which we still have to generate. And, and what is that thing? And, and that thing primarily when you're in a virtual environment is how do you still get people to engage and move the goal of the meeting forward without, as you correctly stated, all those kind of cues that might be available when you're in person? And it's not one answer. It's not a list, but it's whatever needs to happen to move the goal forward. So it's similar to what we were saying before. Sometimes it means you have to talk more and you have to really drive the conversation. Sometimes it means you have to back off and let other people drive. It's not one thing. The only one thing is you are there, uh, let's keep it in the ERG world, for a reason, right? The reason may be to generate excitement about the year going forward. The reason at the end of the year might be to um, have everyone feel appreciated and honor those who, who contributed. Those are two different meetings. So you as a leader with executive presence have to recognize, number one, why are we here? 
do people want out of this meeting? What is the goal of this meeting? And what do I do, given the tools that I have not being in this room? What can I do to drive that forward? Doesn't have to happen in the meeting. Could be materials you sent before the meeting, right? Could be telling people that you want them to chat at a certain moment or do something. It's the specifics are not important. When you understand the principle, the tactics and strategies appear. Tactics and strategies appear when you understand the principles and, and the goal that you want to go to, then you don't have to worry about coming up with clever ideas or, or, or gimmicks to engage people because none of that matters unless you're accomplishing. So it sounds like what you're saying is show up as the leader that's needed for that particular meeting. Joe, you're making me look bad. You're just saying everything I say in one sentence. It's so good. That's because I'm listening and learning. <laughs> I love it. It's basically to show up as the leader that's needed. Yeah. And that could be the things you do before, the things you do during, the things you do after. And those are all your opportunities to display your executive presence, regardless of whether you do it over the phone or you do it over a video or you do it in the room in person. So let me ask you this then. What are some resources that you would recommend for listeners who want to continue to build their executive presence through the work that they're doing with their resource groups. And before you answer that question, I'm going to take this opportunity to tell everybody who's listening that if they haven't gone to Udemy and listened to your course, that they should. It's, it's an hour and it really is hard hitting. Thanks so much, Joe. So one of the easiest ways is I wrote a book recently called Unlock Your Executive Presence, available on Amazon as an ebook. One of my colleagues keeps pushing me to create the print version. We'll get around to that as a project next. So that really probably has the fullest distillation of my thinking around executive presence in a typical kind of business book format. It's, it's, it's not super duper long. I think it's maybe a hundred pages or less. So you can get through it in an afternoon, depending on your reading speed. And so it goes over the six degrees of executive presence, goes over what executive presence is versus what it isn't. So that's a good way. For those of you who just want to dabble a little bit more, I have plenty of articles on Medium, on Thrive Global, as well as on my blog, which can be reached by going to www.connectioncounselor.com. So there you can see about executive presence. Um, charisma is another topic I talk about uh, quite a bit. Public speaking, connection. Again, I hate the word soft skills because these are hard. <laughs> To do, right? So I call them super personal skills. These are the super personal skills that can really help you elevate your career and take it to the next level. And, and last but not least, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I just recently released it. My first Udemy course uh, on udemy.com. It's called Executive Presence and the Diversity Dilemma. So we touched on that just a little bit earlier. What does that mean to not look like people expect an executive to look like? What does that mean? So we cover that. Uh, and a lot of the topics we, we talked about today, we, we go into in depth as well. And the last thing, just a plug for the future, um, doing research right now on my fourth book, which is called Executive Presence and the Diversity Dilemma. So I'm going to build on my last book. And right now I'm conducting interviews with executives, with DEI leaders. So if any of the listeners are um, willing or would like to contribute, just need a 45 minute interview. And I've been learning so much more because I'm only one person, right? I can't tell the experience of a woman 
for executive presence. I can't tell the experience of someone who has maybe a different gender preference than I do. So hearing from other people, it's diversity in action, Joe. I have to practice what I preach. That's right. Absolutely. It is. My last question for you is, how can they contact you? How can our listeners contact you personally? Yeah, absolutely. Love, I would love to have a conversation with anyone who's interested in learning more. Easiest way is just to reach out to me at joe at connectioncounselor.com. Or if you go to my website, uh, www.connectioncounselor.com, you can uh, contact me through uh, the different buttons on the website there. So yeah, always love having these conversations and, and hopefully there's ways we can collaborate and help each other. Fantastic. Joe, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Joe. So let's look at what we got out of this second segment of our discussion with Joe. One, we covered the last two states of being slash behaviors that make up executive presence, engaged and confident. Two, we talked about how you can practice displaying these traits along with the others as you perform your ERG slash BRG leadership role. Three, Please be ready to make mistakes. It's not reasonable to expect that you won't make mistakes. However, I can guarantee you this. If you continue to put in the effort, you'll find that over time, these qualities, these behaviors will flow out of you more easily and more naturally. And there's no better place to practice and hone those skills than in the safety of your ERG. Four, the key to building the supporters that will help you secure leadership roles is to share your accomplishments in terms of their interests. And finally, five, whether you're online or on the phone or in person, the best way to project executive presence is to execute those six states that Joe talked about while showing up as the leader that's needed in that moment or in that meeting. Executive presence is vital to your success in securing bigger leadership roles. Here's how author Sylvia Ann Hewitt put it. No man or woman attains a top job, lands an extraordinary deal, or develops a significant following without this heady combination of confidence, poise, and authenticity that convinces the rest of us we're in the presence of someone who's the real deal. As someone who has taken on the responsibility for leading a resource group, I'm positive that you have what it takes to take on even more leadership responsibility. And we need you to step up to those opportunities that are opening up in organizations and countries and locations, big and small, at every level. My hope is that this discussion we had today will get you started on the journey toward acquiring the behaviors that enable those around you to see that you are the the real deal. Perhaps then, to paraphrase the opening line of the short speech given by the fabled Captain Kirk in the old Star Trek TV classic, you will one day be that leader that takes us and your organization and humanity where no one has gone before. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. By the way, contact me if you're looking for an ERG symposium keynote or a leader for your strategy workshop. 
new chair onboarding, and or ERG bootcamp. I can run these for you either in person or in a virtual setting. Also, for more great ideas and tips for your ERGs, get my book, Supercharge Your ERGs, 18 Tips to Power Up Your ERG Strategy on Amazon.com. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.